Hello and welcome back to another installment of Advice You Can Trust. I'm your host, Ryan Ruff. I thank you so much for joining us here for another installment of the show. And look, if you're joining us live here on LinkedIn, we thank you for coming aboard. This is our inaugural live stream for the show. We've got a handful of episodes in the bag already, but it's great to have you with us live here for the show. Uh, you know, we've got James Nichols, Wealth Manager over at Coverland River Group. He'll be joining me momentarily for our discussion today. Uh, but, you know, we've got a great conversation teed up for you today. James and I have talked a lot in past episodes about the, the family dynamic, you know, whether it was preparing heirs for their inheritances or establishing a family constitution. James and I kept nailing down and coming back to this one word. It's sticky. The family dynamic can be a little sticky and tough to navigate when dealing with a family that has significant assets and significant wealth. Well, today we've got a little bit of a different angle when looking at a family dynamic. Today, we're looking at the five critical wealth planning mistakes of successful family businesses. So James and his dealings with these family business owners that see success on a regular basis, they still can undergo some challenges every at each step of the way. So today we're going to unpack what some of those wealth planning mistakes look like, how to identify them, and then of course suggestions on how to mitigate those issues when moving forward. So with that being said, let's go ahead and bring James out to get our conversation started. James, how are we doing this morning? Good to see you. Absolutely great. Nice to see you today. Yeah, James, uh, you know, great conversation teed up for our audience and our listeners today. Uh, I think the best place to get us started here is just looking at the family business dynamic. So, you know, it takes a tremendous amount of effort, you know, of working hard and working smart when you're a family business owner. And then, you know, hey, that's any business owner. But then when you have the family dynamic, you've got to navigate that as well. And as we've discussed many a time, that can be a little sticky or tricky along the way. So to start our conversation, James, my first question to you is to kind of take an, you know, a, a 10,000 foot view, if you will, at the family business. When it comes to looking at a family business as a whole, James, how vitally important is it to engage incorporate wealth planning overall, uh, just overall? Let's start there. So that's a great question. Where to get started on wealth planning, particularly on the illiquid assets, such as a tightly held business, privately held business. The key that we see, the key difference is that there's a big um, kind of wall in people's minds on the investment planning being something just for liquid assets. And then somewhere over in the business, uh, you know, the privately held business world, that being something kind of off the table. However, there's a ton of overlap, many efficiencies, particularly in the title work that we see really beneficial, especially as companies start growing and expanding in the last couple of years. There's been so much liquidity, so much uh, benefit for small business owners to really merge and acquire and grow. This uh, careful planning work is what we see the, the wealth planning really make a difference on. So James, when, when you're looking at a family business as a whole and giving all the moving parts that go with wealth planning for a family business, I would imagine that there's a risk for mistakes to arise along the way. So there, as every entrepreneur knows, I mean, that is really their bread and butter. That's where they've mm -hmm. made their, their big knocks is pushing through the challenges. What we've seen a big benefit for these privately held business owners, these entrepreneurs, is getting to learn from some other people's mistakes, not having to recreate the wheel every time, do the same things you know that some of their colleagues have done, but instead profit from some of those differences. What and these are sometimes small, sometimes really big differences, but the the main ones that we see are around 
access to capital, access to planning structures, teams that can come in and help really look at, okay, which different corporate entities, maybe they, they set things up 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even five years ago, but as their businesses have changed and evolved and as their families have changed and evolved, their kids have gotten older, uh, siblings have come in and out of the business. As, as these changes, these dynamics within their lives have changed, we see, okay, how do we apply this to their businesses? How can we, we bring mm -hmm. this together? Sure. So when, when a family's sitting around the table and they're, they're looking towards their future, they want to identify the right wealth planner to look for, you know, what, what should they be looking for? Who should those decision makers for a family business, what should they be looking for in a given wealth manager that says, Hey, this is the individual that we need to be working with. So there is a wide range of uh, planners, consultants, and it's very challenging, especially mm -hmm if you're running a business full time to then take take to come out and, and evaluate what makes one team different than another the investment planning and the wealth planning paired together are the real differentiators and where we see the really elite elite wealth management teams stepping ahead really making a, a big difference is where they take these two major distinct components and then pair that with the knowledge of the clients themselves, the the understanding of what's changing in their personal lives. So that that's the real the real differentiator we look for. Gotcha. And now James, so it sounds like the first really, you know, the first critical wealth planning mistake that we're addressing here is just the need to have the right wealth planner to work with as a family business. One that as you and I have covered in multiple episodes before understands the family's personal goals in addition to, of course, the spreadsheets that come along with the family business. So you've got to get into the, you know, the client's inner workings, their goals, their aspirations for the family business as a whole, working with the right wealth manager. That's mistake. Number one, number two, what are we looking for? for another mistake that you're seeing that successful family businesses are making? The main thing that I see is having a technician who is very specialized in one area mm. and relying on that person for expertise that's really outside of that individual's um, wheelhouse, whether that's a trusted CPA, a longtime estate attorney, people who are very well-intentioned and have earned the trust of the business owner they're working with. So these technicians are, are absolutely checking a number of the boxes, but it's always the issue of, you know, what we don't know is what gets us. And in particular, these technicians who are not aware of what more complex systems are, are needed, that's where we see the shortfalls come in. And we see this uncovered most just in that old second opinion, get some other experts in, some other technicians, get, get a broader team to really evaluate the full situation and see front to back if there's any chinks in the armor that are getting missed. Sure, sure. It sounds like a big part of that, James, is is you know, trying to mitigate the, the, you know, narrow focus when looking at the family's wealth as a whole, you know, you want to make sure that in some of these instances, it's not just, okay, we're looking towards tax mitigation and that's, that's our sole focus. You know, there are other elements at play. Like I just mentioned, it's understanding the family's goals and, and aspirations. Of course, the investment side, there's a lot to unpack within a given circumstance. So ultimately then let's shift gears here, James, to the third, uh, you know, wealth planning mistake. What are you seeing on this end? 
So as you broaden the discussion from tax planning to, to what's happening with the dynamics inside a company, succession planning and philanthropic goals, these are often tied right together, but this is a, a key issue we see come up where people wait too long to start addressing succession issues and, and sort of what may happen you know, as the business matures and do they pass that on to family members? Are they looking to bring in other partners? That succession planning, it's for some reason a, a really a tough, um, mm -hmm. a, a tough bridge to cross, but uh, that's a, a key mistake. And right in there is also the philanthropic, uh, philanthropic goals and philanthropic planning. So this, these are all kind of what, what happens outside of the business, what happens next. Sure. And James, when you're when you're looking at the family business dynamic, and this is a conversation that I'm sure comes up, do you ever find instances where maybe the uh, maybe it's not the matriarch or patriarch, but it's the decision makers in a family business that are ultimately being a little secretive almost with some of the the dealings of the family business because hey maybe it's not time to share that some of this information with this with the heirs that will be later on you know do you find that the any sort of secretive you know communication comes into play at all well one of our starting points that we always come up with just you know on square one mm -hmm. is to go over how how important is confidentiality financial affairs and, and also with business dealings and that drives it uh, you know going forward and if if we've got a, a business owner or a um or a ceo or a cfo someone in the in the leadership group who is somehow out of alignment with the um with the business owners that's usually a red flag for us and so um that yes it is something that comes up all the time of course confidentiality is always necessary on mm -hmm. every level of every business. But our key is to make sure the confidentiality that's determined is, okay, what's necessary, that's being maintained. And also the information that's needed, particularly by the business owners and family members is getting passed through. Right. James, I love that you brought up confidentiality because, you know, in the family constitution conversation, preparing heirs, you know, conversation, you and I stress the importance of open communication on that front. And while, yes, that is extremely important when dealing with those elements, <clears throat> excuse me, there's also the level of confidentiality when it comes to the decision makers, because, hey, sometimes maybe sharing some of this information in a, you know, a non-timely manner could lead to a mistake in and of itself. So, yeah. Love that you bring confidentiality up in today's discussion. Let's uh, let's shift to the next mistake. What's another bigger mistake that you want to warn people about today that successful family businesses are making? So we talked a little bit about the technical side of tax planning and that wealth efficiency area. But the other side to that is the wealth protection. And that is a key mistake, particularly in the last couple of years as businesses have grown so tremendously that a just a great amount of success among the private business owners we've, we've been working with. And we've noticed one of the main issues is the wealth protection has not scaled with that. People leave out, you know, whether it's the liability coverages, uh, trust structures that may, you know, be for a different scale, but the wealth protection we see sometimes not keeping up with the success of the, the business growth. So that's the, the one other area we look at really carefully is the protection scaling so that if something, you know, unforeseen occurs, make sure we've got really the bases covered. 
Right. And even, I mean, dating it back to our inaugural episode as a whole, when we took a dive into the stress testing process, James, this is something that is ongoing. It's making sure that your wealth plan isn't obsolete in months or years to come. We all know that the economic landscape of things change very frequently. So we've got to make sure our plan is being updated in regular, you know, and real time with that. So good. I, lo I love that you're bringing that up into the conversation today. What should families be doing then if they, if they're sitting down to look at their wealth plan, maybe it's the first time that they've had a, an official sit down meeting after the COVID-19 pandemic with their respective wealth planner. What should they be doing then to make sure that their plan isn't outdated and remains relevant? So the main thing I would say to, you know, for these clients, when they're sitting down, they want to be, make sure they're looking dynamically at their situation. This is a snapshot in time where we are today, but is their wealth planner really keeping up with how their assumptions have changed from five, 10 years ago, looking down the road at what goals five, 10 years out, uh, you know, maybe coming up, are these getting addressed? So the, the main thing I'd say to look at when you're, you're first sitting down is, hey, are we, are we really looking dynamically at what is changing in our lives, both you know, what's come before us and what's coming up? So that, that's a key thing to be watching out for. What questions are you being asked? You know, are, are these things that are starting to fill in the gaps? And in that context, are these taking into account the wealth efficiency, the wealth protection, the wealth transfer, the philanthropic giving, the way the tax code is changing right now is very, very interesting. We've had some great discussions over the last even 30 days. And as far as that goes, we're really interested in thinking about the wealth plans that we've set up in the past years. Are these ready to adjust? Um, you know, do we have really all the, the goals that may be on the table? Are these going to get addressed, you know, in the event that Congress Senate come in October and there's a change that's retroactive to April right. 20th, are we ready to really move quickly? So um, having the, the wealth plan cover a, a really wide range of scenarios and also be able to act on that quickly. Those are the things that we're really watching for. Sure, sure. I mean, it's not a one-size-fits-all plan. We know that. And obviously, that needs to be custom-tailored, ever-growing, ever-changing along the way. Fifth and final you know, mistake today, James, that you're seeing successful families make. What is that fifth and final one? The final one, really, on, of the five big mistakes is on the philanthropic side, not being aware of the nuances in global giving and in domestic giving, you know, things to try to they call it entrepreneurial philanthropy, working on things that are growing an enterprise that may be for profit, but it has this double bottom line. And, you know, these are things, maybe it's how it goes within the private family foundation, the operating one, the non-operating one, the charitable remainder trust. There's a lot of nuances within philanthropy, which are, um, I would say, developing quite a lot. And this does tie into the changing tax code. People are looking at all of really of the efficiencies there. And that's the fifth big mistake we see is within philanthropy, the many opportunities that are available, really not getting explored enough and not getting the, the really great technical experts to the table who can absolutely help uh, make every benefit available to our clients. So the philanthropy oh. is the fifth big one. 
Right, of course. And I mean, if you want to even take a step back and look at it from almost like a, a public relations perspective, there are always intangible benefits that can come along with you know, philanthropic efforts. So there's a place for them, of course, within that. So making sure your wealth planner is up to date or your plan rather is up to date with your wealth manager uh, to incorporate some sort of philanthropic idea is, is certainly beneficial. James, you know, typically we would end our conversation here after the five critical mistakes, but I'm just curious, and this is a, this is an interesting conversation in and of itself. When you're working with family dynamic, you know, a family business, you know, I've, I've, you know, just in my personal life, I'm, I'm exposed to a few family businesses and there's this um there's this disdain or there's this um this cloud over a family business when they're thinking about potentially selling and the idea of selling is failing the family business do you have any instances of working with clients where they're thinking about selling maybe part of the family isn't thrilled about the idea of selling could you dive into this for us a little bit and and why maybe it is not necessarily failing the family business it's not always a bad thing to sell the family business that may have been around for a long time absolutely and i would i would say you know my my favorite experience with this it is rooted in the idea that like change is hard mm -hmm. and change is good. And, and where sure. I come back to that is with these business owners, almost all of the business owners we work with are these tremendous, you know, individuals who started with very little, mm -hmm. if not nothing, and really built up these great enterprises. And if you want to talk about people who are familiar with change and able to take you know what lemons and make lemonade these entrepreneurs i would say they're the backbone of the the wealth in, in the united states anyways but they, I, I have a great respect for these individuals ability to look at a situation and and take the the change that's coming as inevitable and also turn it around and find the opportunity there. Mm -hmm. Now, these are often the business owners who have built the wealth within a family enterprise. And that's sometimes not always, you know, the same every generation, the second generation, third generation, fourth generation, they might, might not have that same drive. So we find you know, the ability to accept change and, and you know, instill this uh, real benefit in future generations. This is what most often helps the business owners, the entrepreneurs figure out, okay, this is going to be hard, mm -hmm. possibly for my, you know, employees, my family members, the people that we've really worked with, you know, for a, a tremendous amount of time. And as long as we communicate why we're doing it, why we know that it's fair for everyone, it's not just one person's getting singled out or let right. off the bus, and that it's that there's an upside for everyone. Generally, if that change is hard, but change is good side, they can see, okay, this is something, it's just another chapter mm -hmm. of many in their lives that they've taken, something that there's a little friction around and really, uh, seen a great benefit too. So um, I think a lot about that question. It's an interesting one. Why, yeah. how does this negative sometimes turn into a real positive? Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of framing. That's a deep conversation, obviously with your clients, you know, probably over a handful of meetings, but I, I was just curious really, uh, you know, just in my personal, you know, 
interactions with friends and family members that run businesses. I know that that can be a a point of tension, but also a point of opportunity. I love how, you know, with, with that, what might be viewed as a negative can be a great positive when viewed with the right lens. I love that. I want to just mention on there also, like Mm -hmm. we can't minimize it. You said this is over a couple, you know, half dozen conversations. Sometimes this is over a half dozen years. I mean, these are, these are, pivotal decisions. So not to minimize it, not to say, oh, change is hard and everybody just kind of rolls through it. No, these are big deals. And I would say for wealth managers, this is a one of the real benefits of the, this role where we get to, to work through these evolutions and see the outcomes uh, that can be literally life-changing for, um, for entire generations. It's very, right. it's an exciting and very challenging set of decisions, no mm-hmm. doubt about it. Well, family businesses overall, James, we know that they are part of this nation's backbone. You know, the entrepreneurs that start the family business, obviously the family members that it is passed down to and carried on for generations. So today's episode, today's conversation applies to so many people out there. So, uh, you know, thank you for sharing your your uh, experiences with your different clients and the family businesses you work with. I'm sure there's a lot of great information that our listeners can take home today. So thanks, James. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Ryan. Uh, Alrighty. And we, Hey, look, we want to thank you, our audience, our viewers, those that joined us today live on LinkedIn for, you know, for being here for the episode today. If you liked what you saw, you liked what you heard, feel free to comment, subscribe, share this information with friends and family. You know, ultimately it's in the name of the show. It's advice you can trust. We're tapping into James's experiences, his dealing with clients and providing some, you know, great solutions, recommendations, uh, for that could be applied to your wealth portfolio down the road. So for James Nichols, I'm Ryan Ruff saying so long and we thank you so much for joining us for today's edition of advice you can trust